Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am doing good. It has been a uh, an eventful couple of weeks between uh, Memorial Day and uh, D-Day anniversary, and I have to say I'm not someone who is disturbed by the sight of American flags. <laughs> You can't uh, work so for MSNBC fine. or the New York Times. Uh, yeah, a, a person we shall not name who worked, who was on the New York Times editorial board says she was disturbed by the sight of American flags. Uh, it just never ceases to amaze me, the stupidity of our fellow citizens. I just have to ask you, Lee, have you been to the border? Well, yeah, but not lately. Uh, and I've been to Europe, too. You've been to Europe, too? Yes, just, and, and as have you. And I, I hope I don't cackle when I'm questioned about it. Uh, by Lester Holt or, or otherwise. And, of course, what Lee's talking about is this very bizarre statement from the vice president when she was interviewed by Lester Holt and totally deflected. First, she tried to say she'd been to the border. He actually challenged her on her, which yeah. is somewhat surprising from the mainstream media. He said, you haven't been to the border. And she said, well, I haven't been to Europe either. This, that's what this sounded like. We got that here. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I'm here in Guatemala today. I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. Yeah, that was just a bizarre statement. That was a bizarre exchange. It really was. And it was an unforced error on her part. It just it didn't make a lot of sense and it didn't cast her in a very good light. You know, she, she had just uh, I guess she had she just returned from her Latin American trip. No, she was in Guatemala at the time. At the time. OK. And she, she did not come across strongly there. And, and the, the Guatemalan president, as you know, was talking about um, how the situation at the border uh, was caused by the Biden administration and particularly Joe Biden's statements where he essentially during the campaign trail invited folks to come to our country and, and cross the border illegally. And the Guatemalan president, while she was there, s said that. And uh, she, she came across as weak and feckless, in my opinion. Um, the trip was a bit of a disaster. And, and we yeah. haven't talked about problems at the border on this show yet, because it's hard to know what else to say about it. But it's just gone to a whole new level. This that's week. right. And, 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 and that's exactly right. We, if we talk about it, it's going to get worse tomorrow. I mean, we saw the news, I guess it was yesterday or day before, where they, they talked about how there were more undocumented crossings in March than there had been for like 10 years or something. Right. Um, and, and, and it's just the mainstream media just doesn't want to talk about it. It doesn't talk about it. And she was tapped in March herself by the president to uh, head up the uh, the Biden administration's efforts with regard to what to do about the border. And like you said, she hasn't even been there. And she's done almost nothing as right. far as I could tell. And I don't know why. I, I assume it's because they don't want to draw attention to it. But it, frankly, it's already out there. I don't yeah. know why it wouldn't have made sense for her just to say, I'm going to the border. I'll check it out. I'll be back. I'll meet with the governors, et cetera. I mean, I think she's probably solid with the base, but she could have helped herself with the moderates in the middle and even some farther uh, to the right if she had at least tried that. I mean, the, the border, is a, as you said, is a disaster. And 
you know, she's, she had an opportunity to make herself look good, not necessarily even by doing something, but just by seeming to do something. And from what I read, it, it's that her staff uh, is advising her that she needs to stay away from it because whatever she does, she's going to get tainted with the problem and it's going to uh, impinge upon or, or impede her efforts um, uh, to run for president either in 2024 or 2028. Well, instead, she just looks useless. That's right. That's exactly and I think right. it's I think it's a combination of two things. First, it was a combination or the first element was that they hated everything Donald Trump had did. So they uh, try to reverse it all as quickly as possible, including stopping construction on the border wall, changing the stay in Mexico policy. But then it's also you have to look at the statements from candidate Biden and candidate Harris that basically invited everybody to come north. Uh, in the law, there's a concept known as attractive nuisance. You can't if you put a swimming pool in your yard, you better have a fence around it because you're responsible if you're creating something that will cause a problem. Great analogy. That's what we have at the border. I, I, you know, I don't blame everyone from Central America who wants a better life, who's oh. going to come here and work hard. I, you know, if I were in that situation, I'd probably do the same thing. Exactly. But we have incentivized them to take a dangerous trip and come north. And, and not only are they coming north and exposing themselves to danger, but the coyotes and the, and the drug cartels are coming as well, and they're sending their drugs. I saw... Um, this morning, I think that there was a, a seizure of fentanyl that was the largest ever uh, and is enough to kill thousands of people. And, and, and that's what they found. And, you know, what are they not finding? Um, it, it's, it's truly scary. It's frightening. Uh, and it's so unnecessary. This is not about the people who are trying to get here. You know, it's it's about the fact that there's a process and they need to use that process. And when and that process is law and when they violate the law, they need to be sent home and not rewarded for violating our law. But let me ask you this. Do you think that some people on the left favor more immigrants coming in because they see those as future Democrat voters? Absolutely. I think they do. And one of the things we talked about, H.R. 1 previously, the. Uh, the voting bill that the Democrats are trying to push through Congress, which would allow a lot of uh, illegal immigrants to register to vote. It would allow, uh, in all likelihood, others to vote who aren't registered. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you're looking at, at, at people voting who have no business voting and just, you know, filling out a ballot, turning it in, maybe ballots. Um, it, it's it's not good. And it's, you know, if, if a nation doesn't, can't control its borders. What is it? It's not, it's really a, nation. not a nation. And and if 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 a if a if a governmental entity passes laws and doesn't enforce them, what good are they? You know, what's the point? And and how do you know which ones you're going to enforce and which ones you're not? And to me, Lee, I would put a national security slant on it. Take away issues about Trump and the wall. Take about away issues about Biden. Take away issues about voting. To me, no one should come in the country that we don't know about. That's right. And then once we have a secure border, if we want to have a conversation that we need 800,000 migrant farm workers, then, OK, we'll have that conversation. Right. But that's I, totally different. It's a natural. Get a handle, exactly. It, get a handle on the situation that's, first. That's right. And, and, and stop this mass influx of people we don't know who they are. 
Um, we don't know what and they're not just was. from Central America that are coming here. They found oh. people from around the world that are talking to Central America coming up across the border. The, the, the people from Asia are, are coming to Mexico to get to get across. People from Eastern Europe. I mean, it's 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 open season at the border. It, it, we've got to get a handle on it, and we had a handle on it, and and and, and it's been given away. Hey, before we move too far afoot, um, you know, we talked about the anniversary of D Day. Last week, and if someone hasn't heard that, it's great to go back and listen to that episode. But you know, I do have a um, I do have a clip here from the White House statement on D Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine any any competent communications professional in any White House who doesn't release a statement about D Day. It's it's unbelievable. And, and it's, it's particularly bad, it seems to me, now that it's 2021 and there are fewer and fewer and fewer D-Day veterans, World War II veterans, alive every year. And there are not too many more years where it, it, you can even talk about it while they can hear it. Trump, Obama, Bush 43, that I know of, all issued statements about D-Day in their first year in office. Oh, I would go further back, back to the Reagan administration. As far right. as I know, everyone has commemorated it in some way. Right. And, and it's Reagan not like. Even went in, in 84, the 40th anniversary, and gave it famous speech. Right. And it's not like the White House didn't issue other statements. They made a proclamation about the anniversary of AIDS being discovered the day before. They made some statement about transgender rights. It's just that D-Day didn't deserve recognition right. by the and, White and, House. And he made this speech, and, and, and as we talked last week, it was entirely appropriate and, and a, a, a positive thing in all likelihood for, um, for our country uh, to, to uh, the folks in Tulsa about the, uh, the, you know, that, that terrible massacre that was there. But he didn't even have to make a speech about D-Day. They could have just released a statement like That's they right. do many things from the White House press office. That or didn't he could have happen. tweeted about it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, tweet. I mean, it, of course, he doesn't even have to tweet. And I'm sure that somebody is doing that for him. But, you know, someone on his political staff, if nothing else, should have thought eh, it's probably a good idea that we do this. And it would have been so non-controversial. You know, yeah. how many things can a president do that doesn't upset someone? Well, uh, you know, acknowledging the anniversary of the greatest invasion in the history of man would not have upset. I don't think anyone in this country. The fact that he didn't has upset a lot of people. Yeah, that's your White House at work. That's right. Jen Psaki. Yeah. yeah. You know, one other thing that they uh, have been working on, though, is increasing taxes. And, and now they don't want to just increase taxes in America, but they want to be global citizens and increase everybody's taxes around the world. So, I, I you know, I've got this, this short clip here from Janet Yellen discussing this proposed uh, minimum uh, global corporate tax. So far, they have the G7 buying in. That's what this sounds like. President Biden's proposals announced last week call for bold domestic action, including to raise the U.S. minimum tax rate and renewed international engagement. We're working with G20 nations to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate that can stop the race to the bottom. So what do you think about that, Lee? I think it's a terrible idea. Um, I think that uh, it will hamper, hinder business. Uh, and and I, I just it's, a, it's an effort to force companies to stay here without making them 
uh, without making it economically in their interest to do so. You know, they're 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 leaving ostensibly because they can get lower tax rates somewhere else or no tax somewhere else, and so they're saying, well, even if you leave, you still have to pay 15%, and thus uh, maybe you won't move. But I think there are other ways to to ensure. Uh, and I think the prior president was doing a very good job with that, particularly with the manufacturing uh, part of our economy at incentivizing uh, companies to stay here. You know, the Democrat Party from at least from uh, Franklin Roosevelt's coalition through uh, probably 20, well, probably through the 2012 election, a good portion of that rainbow coalition, as it was known, was the blue collar worker uh, from urban areas, um, you know, principally manufacturing jobs or folks that held those. The Democrat Party has completely turned its back on those people um, and is not even paying lip service anymore. To, and you think about all the union support that the Democrat Party has enjoyed in the last hundred years and what some folks who have gone on to the the big union hall in the sky, what, what they must be thinking about what their party has done to the working man and the working family. And I don't like that term working family because it implies that anyone from a family where someone doesn't have a blue collar job doesn't work. Um, and it's principally a term that Nancy Pelosi and, and folks like that use. So I don't like it, but using their own term, those folks have been abandoned by the Democrat party. And of course the Trump administration and his, his uh, campaign focused in a, in a, to a large extent on, on those folks and has tried to uh, build them a home in the, in the Republican Party. Well, one of the things that happened is that by the time Trump took office, you had corporations that had earned money overseas. So it was not taxed at the U.S. tax rate because they generally had done inversions or other corporate swaps where they were incorporated in lower tax jurisdictions overseas. So there were billions of dollars in other bank accounts. Sitting offshore. That's exactly right. Now, one of the things that was brilliant about the Trump tax plan was they lowered the tax rate. So lots of that money came back to the United States. And that's what helped fuel the economic recovery. Right. Now, and it created jobs for people here. And those people then could invest, buy homes, pay taxes, do any number of things. And that money then starts turning over here and it just snowballs. So what what the Biden proposal is, they're starting, they've got buy-in from the G7, the seven largest industrialized economies, and then, then they're going to go for the G20. If everybody agrees to this 15% tax, that would remove the incentive from corporations moving to other t- lower tax jurisdictions. Now, but Don't you think they'll then find a way to get to countries that aren't in the G20? Oh, exactly. And at some point, somebody in the G20 is going to break. Right. Or somebody in the G7, they're going to go, you know, we could encourage some business here if we lowered our tax rates. Exactly. Here, here's the problem with corporate tax rates as I see them. If someone starts a corporation, let's say you've, you've got some great business idea. So you're going to start a, a small corporation so that all your money flows through that and you've insulated yourself from liability. It's such a great idea that you sell more and more products so that the company grows, you sell stock, you release stock because that's how you bring capital into the com- company. Well, as that as that corporate entity grows, it's a legal fiction. It's not a person. So the money that flows into the corporation 
gets dispersed to employees. They pay income tax. It gets dispersed to the localities for property taxes. Uh, They pay sales taxes on the items that they sell. Ultimately, they distribute it to shareholders, and it may be taxed as capital gains. Lots of taxes flow to government at all levels from that corporate entity, that legal fiction. So this debate that we hear about what the corporate tax rate should be, that's money that's taxed already, and they want to tax it first at the corporate level. And and here's the thing, too. Democrats on the left are not real cognizant, in my opinion, of the law of unintended consequences. You know, they pass something that makes them feel good, and then they don't think through, uh, hint, hint with our title, but they don't think through what that might mean in other uh, other aspects. Corporations don't pay income taxes. They pass that on to their customers in the form of higher prices, which leads to inflation. And it makes the dollar that everyone earns go less uh, less far than it used to. And as you know, uh, the government announced this morning or overnight uh, the new inflation numbers. It's It was projected on an annual basis for last month for 5%. It was expected to be 4.7%. That's bad, but it was worse than thought. Um, and and uh, th- that's happened just in the last not quite five months of the Biden administration. That um, And they're calling it Biden inflation and gas has gone up. The price of meat has gone up. Lumber is astronomical. Um, and it's 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 just going to destroy this economy that was just roaring uh, with towards even more prosperity for everyone. Well, I think that that 5% they're showing now isn't going to or hasn't yet factored in the increase in labor costs across the board when you drive down the street and you see everybody that's hiring. That's right. And they're having to offer more. Forget that that minimum wage. No one's paying that. That's right. They're offering more and more money. That is ultimately going to be reflected in prices. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw a story this afternoon. Um, it followed some ads that I saw on Twitter uh, about Chipotle, the restaurant chain, offering basically double the minimum wage to people to start work there. Educational assistance, promotions, all kinds of things to to get to attract employees. And then a couple of hours later, I saw a story. I think it was from Bloomberg, but I'm not sure. They talked about how Chipotle has raised the prices, and they've raised the prices because they've had to raise the hourly rates they're paying their employees. That's one of those things that um, it follows. I mean, higher prices follow wage increases. You know, just like two follows one, and three, uh, you know, three follows two, and four follows three. I mean, it's just a given. But nobody seems to have thought about all of that. And what it might mean uh, for the economy overall. And they, it, they, you're right. They, they're, they're figuring inflation so differently now. I mean, the, the, the statistic, as it's defined by the Department of Labor or the Department of Commerce or Treasury, whoever's doing it, is, is the formula is different. And it, dis, it doesn't use uh, certain areas that we used to use, one of which um, has to do with uh, – uh, well, I won't get into all that because I'd probably be a little bit off, if not way off. But they're, they're using a different formula, and it doesn't accurately reflect what truly inflation is. Um, so if they're saying it's 5%, it's probably higher. 
Well, and, and one of the reasons why this happens is if you're the CEO, CEO of a company, you have a fiduciary obligation to produce a profit for the owners of the company, and those are the shareholders. It might be an individual shareholder. It might be a big retirement account, but you're supposed to make money for them. If you're get, being hit with a new corporate tax rate at the, the corporate entity level, and then you're having to pay your workers significantly higher wages just to get them to come in to give up their $300 extra a week or whatever they're getting in unemployment benefits and just to come into work. At some point, you have to raise your prices for the products that you're selling so that you can still make a profit to give to your shareholders. That's right. So, you know, I think we're just on the beginning part of this inflationary issue. And if we're at 5% now, I don't know where it goes. Yeah. Where will we be in six months? And, and here's the thing, Ed, you, you know, during the, the, the Jimmy Carter years in the seventies, we, we actually experienced what people had said was impossible. And that is what they called stagflation, which was rising inflation and a, and a deflating economy. Um, and I wonder if we're not headed for that as well, because this inflation is going to cause, I mean, it's going to have a ripple effect. In addition to what we talked about, it's going to make interest rates go up, which is going to negatively affect the housing market. Um, and, and it's going to, you know, that bubble will pop. People lose jobs. They don't have income. They don't spend. And it just, you know, you wonder, wonder where this is going to go. And we've got, you know, at best, what, probably 18 months before a new Congress uh, and, and something like, uh, 40, 43 months or something before there can be a new president. Um, and it's probably would take a new president and a new Congress to, to make the necessary changes to reverse these things. And well, and the only Congress, thing you can say about those Carter years is that it brought us Ronald Reagan. That's right. And in the meantime, you and I and everybody else in the country, um, who's not, um, a, a tech, uh, a tech, uh, billionaire or a Wall Overlord. Street mogul uh, suffers and pays the price. Yeah, and while we're talking about economic uh, indicators, you know, the uh, the uh, the numbers came out for new jobs created this week. Not only was it the third month in a row in which the number of new jobs was below what was expected, but also the unemployment rate went down, but it was only because so many people stopped looking for work. And this was an issue throughout the Obama years. They kept talking about how well the unemployment rate was doing, but often you had less and less people who were being counted That's right. because they weren't looking for employment. That's right. They were taking them off kind of on the back end. And and while we're talking about economics, and I, I want to get your opinion on this, and I, I didn't have a chance to, to read as much as I wanted to about it, but there's a financial management, what I'll call a financial management firm called BlackRock. There are a number of people in the Biden cabinet who are BlackRock alumni. Um, nothing wrong with that. This uh, company, BlackRock, though, is um, they manage, as I understand it, they manage a number of pensions of governmental entities and private corporations for their employees. And they're buying lots and lots of residential real estate at prices 15 to 20 percent or so above uh, market rates. I don't know exactly why. I don't know exactly what it will mean. Um, it, it's um, people are are starting to talk about it in the in the um, the, the on the internet um, in part because the real estate bubble that we're currently benefiting from it's going to pop. 
Uh, it's just a question of when. And when it does, the prices will drop. And the fear is that because of the closeness of these BlackRock alumni to those with the levers of the economy in the Biden administration, that there'll be some sort of bailout uh, for, for them because they don't want these pensioners to pay the price uh, for, for you know, the, the, uh, the losses uh, that are associated with the real estate market busting. Uh, or bursting, I guess, uh, to humor my English teacher mother. I, I don't know what the answer is, and I, I don't really uh, have a feel like I have a good handle, but I, I see a number of people having heartburn about that issue. BlackRock has been successful for five, ten years. I mean, they've been a really uh, well-run company, and you call it financial management. I would almost call it a, a hedge fund. I don't know if it qualifies, but they return great rates for their beneficiaries there and, and they've been doing great. Uh, you know, why are they purchasing? I, I don't know, but I, I can tell you that I have seen at least a couple of people who've said this isn't a bubble. Uh, and it's, it's hard to believe because real estate rates and, and housing prices just keep going through the roof. But, you know, I've heard a, a couple of commentators who said this isn't a bubble because it's not as artificial as other bubbles, that this is what people are buying. That's what they're willing to pay. And then once they pay for it in their house, they're going to stay in the house for the most part. I don't know. I think only time is going to tell about that. I know that I, every day I get random emails and text messages about selling my house to somebody yeah. unsolicited. Mm -hmm. And, I, and the I numbers sure. they keep, uh, the yeah. numbers they keep offering is just keeps going up. Yeah. The house next to me sold. Um, it was on, it was, it was on the market less than eight hours, I think. And they paid, they had offers, several offers above the offering price or the asking price. It's unbelievable the way that, uh, the, you know, the housing market is going up. And of course, in general, that's a good thing. It, it helps everyday Americans. I mean, that's the number one way to build wealth is by buying a home. And, and so it's a positive for, uh, society as well as the economy, but you know you worry that um, if if uh, if it's being I hate to say manipulated, but affected for reasons that aren't necessarily good, and and I'm not savvy enough to understand or or to know all of that, but it is I do see that it's concerning. Well, in our area, the uh, supply is low. Yeah, it's it's very tight, and um, I have couple of relatives who are real estate agents and they tell me these stories about basically doing video tours and people are having to put down money right then uh not even some of them aren't even visiting the homes and it's you know your biggest investment of your life and you're not going to see it in person yeah you have to do that uh, in order understand. to buy it yeah. I mean, to, to get it to get a house so i you know i don't know what happens as more people sell does the supply grow do prices come down i don't know interesting to watch and it's a good question though about blackrock what happens if, if they have staked a large percentage of their portfolio in real estate and whether it's a bubble and whether it burst or whether it's just a change in the market what does that do to their uh solidity as an investment indeed oh the other thing we've been talking about for a couple of weeks is that the origin of covid and uh, i know you've been uh Continuing to read the falsy emails, are you finding else anything new about that? I sent you a couple today, and I don't know that they're 
necessarily smoking guns, but it seems like from a you know a thirty thousand foot view, if you will, that folks are narrowing in on this idea that the uh, COVID virus did not start uh, with uh, some sort of animal and having it jump from the animal to man. It rather was invented or, or, or uh, created, if you will. Uh, by 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 humans in in some sort of lab, that seems to be as we talked last week picking up steam. I noticed that there is a move uh, at the G7 to call upon uh, the UN or some organization to investigate the origins of COVID. Seems to be unison among the governments in the G7 because of the perce- the perception, and I think frankly it's obvious, but the perception that the World Health Organization covered up the um, details with regard to to COVID uh, as it started and, and as it got going, that that they were not uh, truthful uh, with regard to the particulars of how it started, where it started, and what to do about it. And I noticed. Uh, yesterday on CNN, uh, Fauci was being interviewed, and he is starting to get defensive, um, almost almost a lashing out kind of response to uh, what I think are and, and, and characterizes pretty pretty softball questions about COVID and its origins. Um, and and he was he said that, that um, folks who were talking uh, uh, about uh, firing him or, or, or prosecuting him for his role in 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 the shutdown and in the masks and COVID and that sort of thing were were doing that because they they hate science and so he he basically said he is science. Uh, which, yeah, didn't he say something like they're not challenging me, they're challenging science? Yeah, which is a, an interesting thing for you know Dr. Freud or or some of his disciples to to uh, to develop, but um, it, it's. A fifth grader would know, he, he said, no masks, and then he said masks, and then he said double masks. Uh, and, I mean, he's backtracked and, and flip-flopped and, and, and danced around and tried to uh, explain. And, and the man is either incompetent or he's a liar or he's both. I mean, there's just no other way to, to think about it, in my opinion. And, and I think the chickens are coming home to roost. And he's getting defensive and he's lashing out. But it was And the um, emails just make it even worse. I mean yeah. you see these emails where he was all over the place and clearly at odds with his public statements. Absolutely. He it, I mean it was almost like I mean, very close in time to a public statement, he's sending or receiving an email that completely contradicts, I mean, hundred and eighty degrees opposite of what his public statement was. You know, and he doesn't seem to understand how you know, folks don't understand that. They're not sure. I mean, what? Do you, how could that be? Uh, and anybody can make a mistake. But we're not talking about mistakes where he came out and said, I was wrong about this. And we've now decided that, that we should go in the other direction. I think folks could accept and understand that. Uh, maybe not if it happened too often, as apparently it, it must have. If, if But he, he's not doing that. He, it's, it's almost like he, he thinks he, because I'm Fauci and I'm so smart. You, you won't think about what I said yesterday or last month or whenever, much less go look it up. You'll just accept, you know, the crumbs that I throw uh, at the foot of my table and you'll lap it up and, and, and be glad for it. And, you know, that's the this attitude that we seem to be experiencing in this country from from our betters, the elites uh, who know exactly what we should do with our lives better than we do. 
I, you know, I think that is a real problem. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that Fauci fell into this category of always certain, sometimes correct. And I, I think, uh, I think, you know, early on the idea that we don't understand something, I think people can kind of understand that. Yeah. But when, but when you act like you know everything and then you change it three weeks later and you change it six weeks later, at some point you kind of lose your credibility. That's right. I mean, he shut down the economy based on what he was saying and recommending, and he's been wrong about everything. You know, he's, he's consistent in that he's wrong. So you're still reading those emails? Uh, yeah. Been busy this week. Didn't have a chance. Hadn't had a chance to read that many of them. But yeah, I, I take a few minutes here and there and check out the Fauci emails. All right. Well, you got anything else on your list this week? Sure, I do. I mean, I'll continue to watch the Fauci email stuff. The The G7 is interesting to me, um, that whole dynamic. I do not think this is going to be a good first foreign visit for for our president. Um, I, did you notice the picture that uh, the first lady uh, tweeted yesterday from Air Force One? She was sitting at the president's desk uh, on Air Force One, and uh, she's got what looks to be like a, a, a briefing book, a binder, uh, and she's got a pen or a pencil in her hand, and she says, well, first of all, under the, the Twitter handle, you know, and it's Flotus, uh, it says U.S. government official. So that's the first thing that jumped out at me. And then she says, I'm preparing for the G7 summit. Um, and No, that, I didn't see that. Yeah, I did notice she gave a speech before the president at RAF Mendenhall. Uh, yeah the base there and uh you know, my wife pointed out to me that it kind of seemed like she was had as much to say as the president did she very much did and 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 he said something about that too um and uh you know, he also said in his speech that when he was when he uh took office as vice president he had a meeting in at the pentagon with the joint chiefs and they uh, they told him that the greatest physical threat to our national security is global warming. And, you know, I'm sorry. I don't believe that. I don't if either. they said it, they need to be cashiered immediately. And, you know, he started on this, this whole uh, spiel about we've got to take all these steps that will cripple our economy. And, of course, China and some other India and those will get exemptions or waivers so they won't be affected by these rules. But we've got to do these things to keep the temperature from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, because if we don't, there are going to be all kinds of wars. And of course, you know, how many years now have we heard that either we have 10 years or 30 years and the world's going to freeze up or it's going to melt or, you know, whatever. And of course, these Al Gore kind of statements come and go and the, the dates pass and nothing happens. Well, and he said that to be clear, what, you know, a week, maybe less than a week before he's scheduled to meet with Vladimir Putin, who is an actual threat to the United States. That's right. And for the last four years of the Trump administration, all we've heard are the Democrats talk about what a big threat Russia was and that no one was recognizing it. I don't know if Biden recognizes it now. Yeah. And, and, you know, Trump put a stop to the Nord, what is it, Nord Stream pipeline from Russia mm -hmm. to Germany. Um, and the, one of the first things that the uh, Biden administration has done in these five months, and it's just been in the last month or so, is they've removed any impediments to the to the building of that pipeline. So what well, let me correct you there. It wasn't one of the first things. One of the first things they do is to shut down the Keystone pipeline well, right. for the United States. That's right. That's right. You're right. And then they did this. But they, you know. Trump put stop the pipeline 
and he was in bed with Putin, if you listen to them. Trump, I mean, uh, Biden greenlights the, the the pipeline, but he's supposed to be tough on Putin. And, you know, what it amounts to is this. We pay our tax dollars to defend Germany. And who are we defending them from? Russia. The Germans are in bed and doing business with the Russians for oil. We ought to be making them buy our oil, or we ought to say defend yourselves. And, of course, Trump made made them... Uh, everyone pay the the minimum NATO uh, contribution that's been required since the beginning that these countries weren't paying and and no one no president had ever had ever demanded it and of course I'm sure we'll go back to you know the Germans and the Brits and all these countries just not paying their fair share and we'll continue to do that. So we we'll be watching the G7 summit and then the um, Biden Putin meeting whether it's a summit or not I don't know we'll see what comes out of that. Anything else on your radar for the next week? I don't think so. How about I'll you? tell you what I'm uh, well. What I'm looking at is what's happening along the border because I heard just this afternoon that uh, the governor of Texas is convening a big meeting with the locals there, and he's looking at what options that he has. As I understand it, he is suggesting an automatic. Uh, well, I guess nothing's actually automatic in the criminal justice system, but an enhanced penalty for. Anyone who's called who's entered the country illegally along the uh, Texas border of six months or a year. Now, traditionally, immigration is a federal policy uh, and question whether they have exclusive jurisdiction or whether it be concurrent with the states. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that and whether particularly Texas and Arizona try to enforce some type of law or use uh, their national guards or their local law enforcement to do something. It will. It will. And and speaking of Arizona, have you been keeping up with the uh, the, the vote audit? You know, not as closely as I should. What can you tell us about that? Well, not a whole lot other than um, I, I was watching this morning on the news the uh, the number of votes that they're concerned about in Arizona is, uh, I, I want to say, something like 140,000. And they had... Two Georgia state senators had gone out there to observe and uh, sort of figure out kind of a best practices thing because there, there's a, a lawsuit pending in Georgia uh, with regard to the uh, Forsyth County uh, situation and, and the, the desire uh, by, by some principally Republicans to engage in, a, in an audit in Forsyth County, Georgia. And he was saying that he thought this this particular state senator, and I don't remember his name, who was being interviewed from Georgia, who said he thought that the numbers in Georgia were were just astronomically higher in, in with uh, in Forsyth County, and that it was it was um, potentially a bigger problem. Uh, but it sounds like they're going to be able to conduct some sort of audit in Forsyth County, and then they had a fellow on from the Constitution Party in Georgia who. Um, in recent years had been aligned with the Democrats in some lawsuits, uh, litigation related to allegations that the Republican Party in Georgia had engaged in uh, election shenanigans. Um, but he, they had uh, now, I guess, uh, the Republicans were backing his efforts with regard to the 2020 election, and, and uh, they've engaged uh, contractually with um, uh, folks to conduct an audit there. Uh, and had been either accepted or closed their plan that was either accepted or close to accepted by by whatever judge is overseeing that. So 
be interesting to see how either of those unfold. And then particularly as it relates to Georgia and Forsyth County, I guess, you know, depending on what they find, it's possible that could affect the balance in the Senate. I mean, I don't know what you've done, what you do if, if, if those elections have been certified by the governor and then it turns out they were wrong. I'm not sure how that gets handled, if it gets handled. I know that there's an effort to somehow sanction or prosecute uh, Brian Kemp, the governor, for certifying an election that folks say he knows the results to have been false. The Secretary of State uh, is trying to stop this lawsuit, apparently has not been successful so far. Um, And it'd be interesting to see how that plays out and what it may mean. And then ultimately, the best we can hope for, if there is a problem, we might be some some extra regulation or something that would prevent it in the future. That might be the best outcome. Yeah, I don't know uh, the answer. I would assume the losing candidate would probably have to bring a lawsuit, and that would lead to protracted litigation. Yeah, uh, The courts generally don't like to get involved in what they call political questions. So it seems to me is probably a very, very slim chance of actually changing the results of I would think so. an election. It, it, it just, you'd open a can of worms and the unintended consequences would be enormous. Not to mention the fact that it would have to be pretty strong evidence, not just speculative information. Yeah, and I think it would have to be that it was an intentional and criminal rather than just a mistake. Yeah, but we'll probably bring some more to you about that in the future when we talk about uh, the Arizona audit or other states and what they're doing. Uh, we've already, it's funny, you know, we've been around for close to three months. We've talked about election issues. I don't know how many times. It's hot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's not going away anytime soon. No, it'll only grow as we get closer to the uh, midterm elections. That's right. And it, we're not far off from uh, from filing season, at least in this state and probably others. You know, well, and, and, you know. Typically, things uh, in Washington, it slows down for the August recess. Then they have a short push until November. Then you're less than 12 months out. That's right. And Congress kind of stops doing anything that might be controversial, and they start really ramping up their election efforts. That's what I'll be watching this week. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. And follow us on Twitter. 